0: Hi, my name is Elizabeth, and it's my privilege to, de- to read today's scripture, which comes from Matthew 2, 13 through 18. Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. ascertained from the wise men, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. Now at this time, let's give our attention to the preaching of God's word.
1: Thanks be to God for the reading of his word. How beautiful of a Sunday it is. Yeah, that happens to be my daughter. And uh, she said, Dad, you better not touch me. You better not try to hug me or kiss me. I'm going to run away. But thank you for the reading of that wonderful passage. Uh, Why did I pick this passage for Christmas Sunday? Did you pay attention to it? There's a lamentation and a weeping which refuses to be comforted from Mother Rachel. Why this passage on Christmas Sunday? Why this passage for Infant Baptism Sunday with all the family? And I'm so especially excited if you are new or haven't been to a church in quite a while. I welcome you here. Thank you for joining us today. Well, one of the reasons is one of the pastors is I can't recall a season where I've actually seen and actually shed more tears. I think it's about three years running. I mean, forget about COVID is over. No, it's not quite over. So much sickness, so much unrest, so much heartache and conflict, frankly, just so much death. So there are two themes that converge in this biblical passage in our christmas story today two themes first is out of place second getting home all right two absolute realities converge we all feel out of place second homecoming first out of place Don't know if you've gotten to travel here. It's a nightmare right now, traveling east, all canceled flights. You know, it's a crazy winter storm coming through. And we're basking in the land of 70 degrees here in Southern California. I almost feel guilty about it. But, you know, I hope if you can get away and experience some refreshment. But I've never had any vacation or travel experience in which it was long enough It was satisfying enough. It was replenishing enough. In fact, in about 48 to 72 hours, I've completely forgotten that I just took a vacation. And no matter how good your vacation happened to be, you come back home. And there's always something wrong with your home. There's something really missing in your family, your married life. A heartache you carry that really nobody knows about yet. Jobs. I mean, don't even get us started right. I mean, who here has a perfect, ideal job? And then when it comes to, I think, the most intimate, rewarding, but risky thing, which is a love relationship, the closer they are, the more it can reward or hurt I don't know anybody I've ever met in all of my life that would say, oh, yeah, all my love relationships, they're perfect. Out of place, out of place. I think uh, everyone deep down aches for something more. Well, here it is for Jesus from the day of his birth. This world was most inhospitable i'm not quite sure if there were hospitals yet anyways to receive him it was most most inhospitable he was not born in a lavish hotel there were no homes to receive him jesus christ was born in poverty and obscurity except for some wise astrologers who traveled all the way from afar and when they fell Upon the baby Jesus, it says, they rejoice with exceedingly great joy. That means ecstatic, like off the charts, joy. Immediately upon the birth of Jesus Christ, in verse 13, it tells us that an angel of the Lord warned his earthly father, Joseph, to run and hide under the cover of night into a foreign land called Egypt. So Joseph and Mary and a baby who had just been born They must run as refugees. This was in order to rescue Jesus from King Herod, who had just gone mad. And evidently, no matter how much power or privilege or fame or wealth or acclaim or applause or recognition, no matter how much you get of everything you ever wanted in life, it can still leave you mad. Always insecure as long as you want to be an unrivaled king. You want to be the supreme. This is why we pick up in verse 16 of chapter 2 of Matthew's gospel. It reads Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, the astrologers did not go back and report to King Herod where they had found the baby Jesus who had been born. Herod became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in bethlehem this is genocide and not just in bethlehem and in all that region you talk about the bloodletting here the madness all towns all villages the entire vicinity wiped out every male son two years older under According to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men, Jesus was out of place. Jesus, there was a king who wanted him killed. (laughs) He didn't even do anything yet, he was out of place. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes that teaches us it is better to go to a funeral than a feast. If you've been attending our church, I might have referred to it at least a couple times. It's one of the most profound life-altering verses I was ever taught. It is better to go to a funeral than a party. It's better to go to a funeral than a festive occasion. What? Yeah. Well, according to the Bible, it's because at a funeral, it's like a dosage of bitter medicine. Now it's bitter, but It's medicine. It's medicine because it reality checks you. It's an intrusion of a guaranteed reality that comes upon us all. A funeral, if you let it, can be one of the most clarifying, resetting, humbling things you could ever attend. As one of your pastors, I happen to attend and mourn and grieve at four funerals within two weeks at the beginning of this month. Four in two weeks. The first one, I find the most absurd. I don't think I'll ever get over it. Sarah Choi, age of 23, dying on the mission field. Pastor Jimmy and I grieving at that funeral at Rose Hills. And lo and behold, I watch her father, whom I had grown up with rise to the pulpit to preach at his own daughter's funeral. And here's how he began through the anguish. Eternity is far more beautiful to me now than hundreds and hours of theological education he had ever received. Toward the end of the father's funeral, he got what you might call preachy, enthusiastic, Fired up because he said, may God use the death of my 23-year-old daughter to shake a complacent, sleepy church so that many more young people might be called toward global missions. I'm a fellow pastor, and I could barely believe my ears because that father that mother, the brothers and sisters, the fiancé, those who were grieving the loss of a 23-year-old, brilliant, creative, wonderful human being. They really don't belong here. They really don't look and sound and live like they belong here. Maybe for a few of you in this room, tragedy hasn't struck. It's never shaken you to the core and burst your bubble, the illusion that all is well, and there's nothing after death. Let me put it this way. If tragedy has never rocked you to the core, have you ever been caught up in a moment so enthralling It's nearly perfect. And it summons the instinct. This is the way it should be. Have you ever experienced a transcendent moment? It almost captures you and quote-unquote takes you out of this world. And you feel like if you could, I would want to capture that moment and make it last forever. Have you ever been so moved by music? Have you ever been so mesmerized by a work of art? Have you ever been so astounded by an act of beauty that it's somehow familiar to you? Have you known a love fallen into the arms of any lover You can faintly recall you used to once, you once felt, but it's never fully yet. What is that? Tell me, what is that? The Bible explains. The Bible explains. You and I used to walk with God in a paradise garden. Moment by moment, step by step. And in perfect love with one another. You and I have a recall. It's back there somewhere. Where we know what it's supposed to be like. It was meant to be like this. It should last forever. And the apex experience of any human being you will ever find. Is to be so in love with your maker and so in love with one another, without any bad memories, without any previous hurt, without any suspicion, without any fear, without any defensiveness, without any need to deceive or cover or pretend or compensate, without guilt, without shame, without any darkness, and without any of the anxiety of how long will this really last? And my friends, the Bible would explain to you that if you can faintly recall a love you once felt, but you haven't fully experienced it yet, it's because you and I decided one day we can live a better life apart from God, and we ruined Garden Paradise And we're all aching to get back in. The Bible would explain to you those longings that you and I have at the deepest core of your soul that go unfulfilled is a sign of truth. It's a sign of reality. It's a sign of who made you. And yet, those unfulfilled longings are only meant to be fulfilled by the one who made you. C.S. Lewis, prolific author, ingenious I would say, observed it this way. A man's physical hunger does not prove that man will get any bread. He may die of starvation on a raft in the Atlantic. But surely a man's hunger does prove that he comes of a race which repairs its body by eating and inhabits a world where eatable substances exist. If you've ever been hungry, I don't know if you've ever suffered really deep hunger pains. C.S. Lewis would say, doesn't guarantee you'll get bread to fill your stomach, but it does signal there's such a thing as bread. If you are hungry, your human body aches for sustenance for eatable substances it is no guarantee you will be fed however it is a signal that there is such a thing as food C.S. Lewis in another book goes on to say if your desires are wholly unmet if your desires are never filled by this present world it would suggest don't you think you were made and meant for another world. You know, if you grew up feeling out of place, I went to a certain private high school. I did not belong there in terms of economics or social background whatsoever. Oh, it was a miserable sophomore year up in Palos Verdes. Have you ever experienced what it is to be totally out of place at home at your job? among a group of social circles, maybe even at this church. But if you feel so out of place, the Bible would say it signals there is a place for you. There is a place you belong. You know the movie West Side Story? That great director remade it recently, watched it with my family, came home singing it somewhere, There's a place for us. It's almost like a perfect tune from West Side Story. When I first sang it last year, my daughter Taylor recorded it for mockery purposes. To laugh at it over and over and over and over again because she can hardly believe how bad her dad can sing. Thinking about this song again, I had it on YouTube in our living room on Friday. And I was singing it aloud, trying my best. And Elizabeth from the kitchen just says, Dad, please stop. And then my wife, Sunny, added, Yeah, nobody likes to hear you sing. And then I could hear Elizabeth giggle and cackle along with her mom's assessment. How ironic, I'm singing out of place. Somewhere there's a place for us. (laughs) I feel so out of place. You know, if your heart... Your heart, my heart aches for more. Your heart is unsettled, deeply unsatisfied. The word of God has something to say to you. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses 16 to 18 read. If you've had your heart break, here's what apostle Paul says, don't lose your heart. We do not lose heart. According to the Apostle Paul, filled by the Spirit of God, delivering the eternal, timeless, relevant, perfect word of God. Here is God speaking, showing you something about himself. Here he is revealing something about eternal future for you and for me. Here is what he is saying. All the heartache or suffering or losses and disappointments and betrayals. All the affliction you have ever, ever amassed. According to him, he says, your future glory, your future experience when you really get home will be far richer, weightier, sweeter, more glorious because of what you and I are going through, not in spite of it. It's as if your tears and mine being amassed, being compiled, produce, it says, produce and prepare for you and I something far, far better in a place for us. That's the first theme. That's the first reality. Out of place. Out of place. Second, homecoming. 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 I'm gonna try my best to summarize this. I really don't know all the reasons why God would ever allow you to get sick. I really don't know why God would have you attend the funeral of your son or daughter, or your father or mother. I really don't know why God would allow you to have one of the ones who are closest to you break your heart. But I do know part of that, I do know this from the scriptures, God allows some sufferings and some sorrows so that you can realize where you really belong. God weans his people if he loves you so. If he loves you so, he will wean you. He will wean a church, he will wean a community from settling down in this present world so that you might settle in a perfect world to come. God will not allow any child of his to actually think and live as if this is your home. If there is a far better, better place for us, God will make sure this is not the place Chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, Matthew. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15, verbatim, a prophet, the ancient prophet. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Rachel, the wife of Jacob. Rachel, who was the love of Jacob's life. Rachel, who bore two children, two sons at least. This prophecy is speaking of Mother Rachel, who died a millennium before the Gospel of Matthew, weeping over her lost children and all of her lost descendants who had produced the lines of an entire nation, Israel and Judah, So Rachel's tears is for not only one child, two children, thousands upon thousands, we're talking maybe millions, of an entire nation, devastated, enslaved, ransacked, humiliated, taken over by foreign empires. And all those children are left for dead under exile. Her tears... The tears of Rachel represent every mom's worst nightmare. And those kinds of tears sometimes refuse to be comforted. Now, is this why Matthew recalls Rachel's tears? Is Matthew the type of author or speaker who just wants to pull at heartstrings? He wants to make it as, poignant as possible does Matthew quote Jeremiah the tears of Rachel for cathartic effect no it's for prophetic effect for prophecy effect for God keeps his promises effect the reason why Matthew quotes Jeremiah 31 The inconsolable tears of a mom weeping over an entire nation whose children are left for dead is to show you and I that those tears are fulfilled and finally comforted in Jesus. All the tears of a mom's worst nightmare are fulfilled and finally comforted in Jesus. Don't you see? See, don't you see? Don't you see? We just read the passage. What was Jesus' life story like? He was born to relive your life story and my life story. It's heartbreak. He had to flee as a refugee. He escaped into Egypt. He repeated the story of Israel. Jesus spoke of himself. He says, the son of man has no place to lay down his head. Jesus went homeless. Jesus had no security. Jesus had no financial future he had no political backing he had no military might he was not impressive the bible actually says he was not look good to look at this jesus christ who says he had no place to raise his head he was always out of place and do you know when he himself entered back into a garden which is just like the garden of eden His closest followers and friends, I mean, these were supposed to be his closest. Jesus is at his most greatest, most vulnerable hour in his entire life. His closest could not comprehend what he was thinking and feeling. Which, by the way, nobody can. Nobody ever will. Don't put that expectation on anybody except this son of man. For the best friends of Jesus fell asleep on him, couldn't stay with him while he was going through his greatest hour of need. Why does Matthew recall an ancient prophecy of Rachel's tears? It's to show you unmistakably how all the tears, all the tears, all the weeping, all the lamentation fulfilled, finally healed, finally comforted in Jesus because Jesus, he came upon Jerusalem one day and he cried out and his heart broke like a mother. He says, oh, how I just wish I could gather all the lost children like a mother hen gathers all of her chicks. Jesus wept just like Rachel over all of the children of God who were lost. Oh, but I also want you to see this in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under wings? And you were not willing. There it is verbatim. Jesus wept just like Rachel. But unlike Rachel, unlike Rachel, Jesus can bring back the dead. Jesus wept and shed tears, just like Rachel, but so far superior than Rachel, Jesus can raise the dead. Isn't this ours? Why? Before the cross in John 14 verse3, Jesus promised, "If I go, if I go away, it's uh, to prepare a place for you. I will come again, and I'm going to take you to myself." that where I am, you may be also. And then when Jesus was crucified upon a cross, my friends, Jesus, a blameless, innocent, righteous man, executed publicly upon a cross, and he cried out for relief. He cried out for his father. Do you not see what Jesus is fulfilling? He is becoming the ultimate Rachel who weeps and dies in labor so that he might raise dead children back to life so that he might recover all the children he wants back to settle in his father's house. Jesus lost his life, Jesus lost his father, Jesus lost his friends, he lost his health, he lost his happiness, he lost home, he lost everything and he weeps over you so that you can get his. Now here's how. All right, we come to a close. Here's how. Here's how you get the home. Here's how you get the father. Here's how you get the love. Here's how you get the life. Here's how you get raised from death and you will really never die again. Here's how you get it. Here's how you get it. This is key. Are you with me? This is so key. Can you see and sense Jesus wept for you? Would you believe that Jesus had you in mind when he wept? Could you believe Jesus wept with your name to it? Could you believe that Jesus, the son of God, wept and wept and wept because he wanted to call your name? Do you know that Jesus lived and died and was raised again for you? If it's not for you this morning, Jesus will not save you from anything. If it's not for you, you don't need Jesus to do anything for you. If it's not for you, this whole story is in vain. It's all a waste of time. But if Jesus actually wept, shed tears that were at first inconsolable, over you, a son or daughter of God. And when you can sense that those, those tears were actually for you, that he wept for me, he wept for you. Then do you know, no matter how lonely or rejected or lost or heartbroken you've ever been in a lifetime, you become the most beloved, absolutely adored, adopted son and daughter of God. And until you recognize who Jesus wept for and where you really belong, until then, St. Augustine famously said, our hearts are restless until they rest in Thee. day. Until you and I know where I really, really, ultimately belong, my true and forever home. Until I recognize and get refreshed by that all the time, taste it, rest in it, until I experience that even now, in tidbit fashion, Or this world is gonna just always leave me torn, just ripped apart, just too disappointed, too crushed, too lonely and too lost. It'll always be winter. It'll never be Christmas without Jesus. You only have winter. It'll never be Christmas without Jesus. This is why we sang this morning A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Someone who is getting you home. Someone who lost his home to bring you home. Someone who is bringing about the grandest, most healing, most perfect homecoming. That is what awaits every child of God at the end. Of one chapter of history. Every Sunday night, growing up, some of you heard this story before. My dad was very involved at the church in downtown LA, and we'd spend the entire day there. Entire day. And without fail, when we drove back home to South Torrance, I would always pass out in the back seat of that old Oldsmobile. It was the best sleep on the drive back home. And almost every Sunday night, as I was passed out, my bedroom happens to be on the second floor of the house. I would pretend I'm still asleep. Or my dad would come to the back door. No seatbelts then, guys. Just sprawled out. Really safe. It was awesome. And he'd look at me. Say, Harold, are you still sleeping? And I'm so dumb, I would nod yes. (laughs) And then he would just... Pick me up, smelly, sweaty, haven't brushed his teeth, piggyback me up those flight of stairs, put me into bed, kiss me, pray for me, good night. The best night of sleep. I was so lazy, so weak and small, I didn't even want to climb up the stairs. And my dad would have to carry me up there and put me to bed. My friends, here's how Jesus takes you home. Here's how Jesus takes you home. All you have to do. If you're too weak, you're just too tired. You don't have to live a good life. You don't have to be a good person. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to be moral. You don't have to be a good dad. You don't have to be a good parent. You don't have to be a good son. You don't have to be good at work. You don't have to be good at anything. In fact, you might have been awful at everything you've ever done in your life All you have to do is say, I'm too weak, I'm too small, I can't get up there. And all you have to do is just reach out your arms. All you have to say is just, Jesus, I need you to carry me to a place I can never, ever deserve. And all you have to do is just reach out and grab on. And then when you grab on to him, I want you to hold on tight. And I want you to keep on holding on. I want you to keep on holding on. All you have to do is just keep on holding on. Because that Savior is way stronger. He's way more faithful. He's way more powerful. He's way more personal. He's way more loving than any person you'll ever meet. And he will inseparably carry you upon his back. The most tender and personal person you could ever meet. He will inseparably carry you every step of the way until you end up home. Until your older brother carries you into a room with your name on it in the Father's house. Always winter, never Christmas. Until you have Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this word. I thank you for the gospel. Thank you for this time of worship. And I pray by the power of your word and by your spirit, would you call anyone here (coughs) who needs a home? may oh lord anyone who is in need of jesus to forgive and to love and carry us all the way up there would you bring them to yourself would you have that person join a church to get baptized to publicly declare jesus you are my savior you are my god and lord i pray for many many starting with myself who suffer who shed many many tears Lord, I pray that your comfort might come. Your comfort that finally fulfills and heals all of our tears. May we, O Lord, come to find rest in you this day, in this season, into the new year. Hear us, we pray. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.